Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to High Story. Come on in. Get in here. Come on, I know it's a little bit cramped here in Shap Studios, shitty apartment studios, but if you can't be here with me physically, I know I know you're with me in spirit. I don't know where Tish is. You know, she's she's really become a lot less of a co-host. She's pretty unreliable and she doesn't really communicate that well, but she is a damn good spirit animal, I think, so wherever you are, Tish, go do the free stuff. Rate, review, comment, whichever thing you can do on whatever app you listen on. That makes you super cool if you can go do that real quick. Also, Turbo Sweet if you donate on PayPal, highstorypodcast at gmail.com. Or, big announcement here, you can now help show your support on Patreon over at patreon.com slash highstorypodcast. I'm working on some ideas to put together some bonus stuff for you guys. I'm kind of reorganizing my schedule outside of this so that I can put a little bit more time into making these. So hopefully that stuff will start happening sooner rather than later, but in the meantime, you can also check out the Facebook page, and I'm also in the throes of figuring out how to use Twitter, which has got to be the most old person shit I've said all week. Help me figure it out. Tweet me at at funnyballedwaiter. I don't know how I got that one, but that's me. Maybe one of the things you can tweet is some ideas for a topic you'd like to hear, or, I don't know, maybe just something funny, or something cool. I don't know how it's supposed to work. Help me figure it out. But, uh, okay, I think that's it for top of show stuff, so what do you say we go ahead and get on with it, eh? Eh? What? Wait a minute. Well, where the hell is everybody? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, okay, I remember now. Hold on. Let me, let me go get a rope. Oh, hey guys. Hey, everybody. Hey, real sorry to leave you dangling from this cliff for a whole week. Come on back up here. I got some cool shit to show you. Come on. And we got places to go. It'll be fun. Come on. Alright, so, you're probably wondering why we're all here. I can see the anticipation in all of your little faces. Get your life jackets. We're going sailing on the high seas. That's right, my friends. We're going all the way over to Roanoke Island. We're going to go explore it. If you're a new listener, go back and listen to last week's Terra Calico episode. All that cliff stuff will make sense. Hopefully. Is everybody ready? You got water. Snacks. Do you need a bathroom break? Go now. There's no modern anything where we're going. And if you have a couple little extra things of hand sanitizer, grab those too. Because we're going way, way, way back in time to introduce the first person in our little cast of characters for this story. Sir Walter Raleigh, Devon, England, in East Budley at Hayes Botton. Sir Walter Raleigh was born sometime around 1552. He was the youngest of six kids. Um, by the way, he had not yet been knighted at this point. That's coming later, as just to keep him from being confused with his father, who was also named Walter, or Walter Sr., who had three different wives over the course of his life, one of whom was Joan Drake. Relative of Sir Francis Drake. Ever heard of him? Ever played Uncharted? It's amazing. You can thank him for those, directly. He invented them. Anyway, we're going to meet him later on, but just very briefly. His mother, Catherine Champernown, as well as Papa Walt, were incredibly well-connected. I mean, Raleigh's mother, not Francis Drake's mother, if that didn't make sense, just in case. Her three sons that she had had with her late husband, Otho Gilbert, were John, 
Humphrey, and Adrian, all of which were men of great skill and knowledge, and John was even the sheriff and vice-admiral of Devon, or Devon. I'm not a hundred percent on where to place the emphasis on those syllables. And as with many accounts from this era, by the way, I typed ear like six times trying to spell the word era correctly, and it's not easy to do for me, apparently. Not a ton of information available about what was happening in his life right up until March 13th, 1569, which was a Sunday. One event that many historians do agree that Raleigh was in attendance of was the Battle of Yarnak. Or Jarnak, J-A-R-N-A-C. I'm going to say Yarnak because it's more fun. Where he fought briefly for the Protestants or the Huguenots, but they got their asses whooped. Oh, super random factoid of the week right here. March 13th, 1569 is also the day the first ever national lottery took place. The queen needed money to fix up the country and all of her ships and stuff because wars everywhere. So she raffled off 400,000 tickets at 10 shillings apiece, which would be about 4 million shillings, which roughly by today's estimate, 1.35 billion. So that's really fun. I was also more amazed that they had an inflation calculator that went back to the 1200s, which that seems crazy to me that we can put it back that far. I forget where I found that, but it exists out there somewhere if you want to go find it. But moving on to... What? Been a week already. Let's go. Okay, God. Hold on, just a little more. We're getting there. This is ridiculous. I uh, I just imagined myself addressing a crowd anxiously awaiting a cruise ship. You know, I got one of those microphone speaker things that attaches to your belt, like whatever. Anyway, fast forward about nine years from the lottery. No, we didn't win. In 1578, Humphrey Gilbert, now Sir Humphrey, and half brother of Walter the Younger, Sir Walter Raleigh, Gilbert, Sir Walter, and Simon Fernandez all left for the Americas. They were granted passage to the New World by the Queen herself, with a six-year patent to colonize places that other countries haven't already laid claim to. So they set sail for the New World, but quickly had to turn back after several ships just deserted. Which I kind of don't get how it happens. They just went a different way and... Didn't turn around? Just dipped out on the ocean? How can you do that? Well, how come they get to get on the boat? Shut up, damn. So a couple of years go by, and Raleigh starts getting in real good with the queen. You know, he's doing household chores, writing little cutesy notes of prose, maybe vacuuming the royal carpet, doing the royal dishes, scrubbing the royal floors, while simultaneously fucking off all over the northern hemisphere. Namely in Ireland during the Desmond Rebellion, which took place 1579 to 1583, where he and his men took great delight in slaughtering an entire fort's worth of papal troops from Spain and Italy. They hanged all the women, executed all the priests, and killed pretty much just everybody else, completely obliterating their super old 16th century shit. And upon his return to England, the queen apparently has taken a liking to him, she likes that he did that, promotes him up a level in court, and gives him the nickname Water. Water. Because, apparently, Raleigh had a super-duper double dummy thick accent, so it probably sounded like when he said his name, it was Wolta. Wolta. So, Wolta Raleigh, or some shit like that, but 
he had an accent that you just love to see walk away, apparently. So that's where that nickname comes from. Dang. 1584, Raleigh hired Philip Amadas and Arthur Barlow to captain two small ships to charter the New World, as well as Fernandez. That guy's just pretty much always around, along with 75 other crew members. Among the crew is John White, cartographer and artist. Key player here, remember him. We're bored and sweaty, come on, man. Okay, finally, we can get on the damn boat. Thank you. But, uh, you know, whilst we're making our little voyage to the New World, um, how is everyone this week? What'd you do? Did you, uh, did you do that thing that you were supposed to do? What'd you have for lunch today? Tell me over on Twitter, at FunnyBoldWaiter. Alright everybody, off the boat, we made it. Welcome to Roanoke Island. How many of you are still alive? One, two, three. Okay, good, good, okay. The rest of you come with me, we've got exploring to do. By the way, if you're keeping track, it is now July 1584. Let's talk about Wingina, chief of the Roanokes. Wingina ruled over several towns on the mainland, which is in present-day North Carolina, and another village on the northern end of the island. The Croatoans were living on a smaller barrier island to the south of Roanoke and were inhabited, or the island was the same name as the tribe that lived on the island. I wrote that weird. Moving on to the other Algonquian-speaking tribes present in the area. Wepimoks, Chowanoks, Pamlicos, I think Noose, Cori as well as the Iroquois and Tuscaroras. So many different tribes and cultures. I wonder what their gods were like. I wonder, were they also born from corn? While on this little adventure, the crew and captains began to familiarize themselves with the new land. Of course, there's many different tribes around the area and all varying levels of hostility. Not surprising, you never know how someone's going to react, especially whenever it's this. I mean, you're just out there one day doing your thing on the beach, looking for clams or crabs or whatever, and you look up and there's this giant wooden ship that you've probably never seen before. I mean, yeah, they probably had like rafts and canoes and smaller things, but not a humongous ship. But And it's also carrying a shitload of people who look way different than you that have a ton of scary looking equipment that, as far as you know, may or may not want to kill you and take your stuff. So, you know, it might be kind of weird for that, for them. And, you know, I wonder what it really looked like back then, too. Like, I wonder just how much of the natural beauty of the coastline has just been eroded away by time. I wonder, I wonder really what it was kind of like. But fortunately for us, there were a lot more friendly tribes than non-friendly. So Barlow and Amadas were able to successfully navigate their way through the tribe's political and societal structure quite peacefully. And they were even sent back home to London with two emissaries to help secure a colonization effort with the Queen. Juan Chese, a Roanoke ambassador, and Monteo, son of the Croatoan chief, who was female, but I could not find out her name. Apparently the Crown was pretty impressed with the two ambassadors from the colonies. I will guess I'm going to call them. So they're successful, and Sir Raleigh is now knighted, granting him... The title of Lord and Governor of Virginia. Hooray! So now he's finally been knighted. And there's about 15,000 different other things going on right now that I also really want to talk about later. There's fucking wars and shit everywhere at this 
point in history, but we're going to do those another another time. This is the time Queen Elizabeth sent Francis Drake to the West Indies to go mess up Spanish trade routes, and I really want to read some more about him, too. Not now. She also sent Raleigh and his crew to Roanoke to go set up the colony over there, which was April 9th, 1985. 1585. 600 people, except for Sir Raleigh. He's staying home to make googly eyes with the queen and do his stuff. We're, we're not going to talk about him too much more anymore. Five ships and two pinnaces, which I guess are just two smaller ships, they set sail for Roanoke. The main, which, the main ship we're going to talk about is the Tiger... If it comes up, we're probably talking about the Tiger ship. All of the other men previously mentioned are present, however. We've got White, Manchese, Monteo, Barlow, and Amadas. Finally arrived on June 26th on the island of Wokokon, but they only had enough supplies to last, to last 20 days because they ran aground on an inlet because they're really shallow waters up there. And the native tribes were still pretty on the fence about trusting the colonists. A solar eclipse happened while they were gone, and a comet falling through the sky right after they came back certainly didn't help. And on July 3rd, a small crew goes over to Roanoke, and Wanchese takes off to Dasamunkipuk to warn everyone that the English are not to be trusted. I'm out. Monteo, still all about that English life, though, keeps wearing the same awesome clothes that he'd been wearing, and then later on, he and the crew went on a trip to the mainland. Problem is, at some point during this trip to the mainland, a cup went missing at one of the villages, and Amadas, being quite a reasonable man, incinerates the entire village and burns it to the ground over a missing cup. So, things are going great. Later on, the tiger returns to England, leaving behind Ralph Lane and 108 other crew members. They go back to England... I'm supposed to go get supplies, supposed to be a real quick mission, in and out, four months, real back, real quick, coming right back. Expected to return with supplies in autumn, but they didn't get back until spring night 19, fucking no, god, <laughs> god damn it. Spring 1586, due to the Queen diverting course to the Netherlands. And while they were gone, Lane made a pretty valiant effort to sour relations with the local people, even going so far as to murdering Wingina who by now was going by Pemisapan. He had recently changed his name for political reasons. And then Sir Francis Drake shows up with a fleet of 23 ships to help resupply the colony on June 8, 1586. See, I told you we'd meet him. But it's hurricane season, so they ended up getting stranded off the coast for a couple of days, and Lane's had just about enough of this bullshit, so he and the colonists and Drake all take off back to England. Two weeks later, Sir Richard Greenville shows up with 200 more colonists to find the place completely abandoned by Lane, about which Raleigh, Sir Raleigh, is super pissed. They hang out for a couple more weeks, but they also dip out and head back to England, leaving behind about 15 soldiers to protect the fort. <sighs> I need to take a breather real quick and just relax. Stressful week. Had a had a lot on my mind this week, but I learned something new. I think you'll think you guys will you'll appreciate this. Did you know that male mannequins have a bulge whenever they're undressed? I did not know that, and I definitely didn't expect to learn it out of Valero. Kind of like how you probably didn't expect to hear that on a history podcast. <laughs> All right, let's get back into the 
Let's get back into the main story here. Mid-July, 1587. I swear I'm not purposely picking stuff that happens in July. It just happens that way, I promise. John White, his pregnant daughter Eleanor White Dare, her husband Ananias Dare, and 117 other people arrived at Roanoke to find nothing. Nobody was there. And it looked like nobody had ever been there. All they could find of the original 15 troops left behind were just one skeleton that they forgot to sweep out the door. And the next month they were there was pretty rough, too. A few days after arriving, they found one of the men, George Howe, brutally beaten to death in the woods. Oh, and he also had 16 arrows in him, which is not a fun way to go out, I don't think. White went to meet with Manteo and the Croatoans, who did promise to support them, so long as they had a little button or sticker or some kind of little badge or token thing to let them know that they're friendly, which is all well and good, except for on August 9th, White and Manteo accidentally slaughtered an entire camp of friendlies because it was too dark to see the friend badges. Again, super good times to be had by all right now. Nine days later, August 18th, meet the first ever English colonist to be born in the Americas, Virginia Dare. Yeah, number one! Settle down. Okay, my bad. August 25th, John White is chosen, or maybe forced, I'm not sure, to sail back to England to report the change of plans to Sir Walter and Drake and to bring back supplies. But oh no! They is busy fucking up the Spanish Armada because, by the way, this entire time the other side of the world has been right smack dab in the middle of the Anglo-Spanish War, 1585 to 1604. Nailed it. So White won't be able to get secure passage back to Roanoke until 1590. Womp fucking womp. So since that part of the world was busy blasting the hell out of each other with cannonballs, all the good ships were unavailable, White basically had to hitchhike on a privateer's vessel. And then finally, on August 18th, 1590, a full three years later, and also his daughter's birthday, if you remember, she would have been three, he means granddaughter. White and some of the other sailors climbed out to find just a barren wasteland. The camp had been completely abandoned, and there was no sign of what happened or where they went. Except for on a couple of different places, there was a carving. CRO on one post, and C-R-O-A-T-O-A-N on another post. But it was hurricane season again. Wait, we always sail out in late summer, early autumn, and there's always shitty weather. How can we avoid this? I, seriously? Again? With the hurricanes? So they couldn't go investigate the island and had to leave again. So that's it. They were never heard from again. They were never made it back to find out what happened to the colonists. So now we're gonna have some fun! There have been countless theories over the years about what happened to them. And yes, that subtle shift in the energy you just felt. Yes. Time for some wild shit people think really happened. Number one. Murdered by Pocahontas' father, Chief Poetan. He told John Smith in 1607 in Jamestown that he slaughtered them all in retaliation for living with another tribe that refused to ally with him. He showed John some muskets and stuff as proof, but th those could have been from anyone. There's plenty of English coming and going. 
more likely, if it was true that he killed anyone, it was those 15 soldiers left behind in the second voyage in 1586. Number two, could have been completely wiped out by Spanish pirates. Perhaps old Fanny Balls got a told of them. The Spanish Armada had been hanging around down in the Florida Territory, so it's possible a ship could have crept up the coast and taken out the colony. And the Spanish were known to harass a lot of the other European powers trying to do stuff in the Americas, but kind of not likely since they never recovered any bodies, and the Spanish still hadn't even found the island for 10 years after they went missing. Probably not Spanish pirates. Number three, what if they ate each other? A 1609 account of cannibalism at Jamestown, which I don't remember if I knew or not before reading this. It seems familiar, but it could just be getting mixed up with some of the other messed up shit floating around in my head. Governor George Percy wrote in 1625, quote, Nothing was spared to maintain life and to do those things which seem incredible, as to dig up dead corpses out of graves and to eat them. Yikes. Ew. Gross. No. They also ate pretty much all the animals in town too, all the horses, dogs, cats, rats, mice. They also ate mud pies, sticks, crab shells, seagull beaks, sand, hermit crabs. But you know, again, no proof of this happening at Roanoke was ever recovered either. And some speculate that maybe a few cannibalistic tribes got to them first, perhaps grinding their bones into a powder and snorting it, I mean mixing it in with stews. <laughs> And all I can think about now is that scene in Better Off Dead where he's snorting jello off the lunch table through a straw up his nose and... <laughs> what is in the jar? I want to know what's in the jar. But there's also no evidence of any cannibal tribes in the area at that time either, so also probably not that. They could have all gotten COVID and died. That's a possibility, sort of. Not COVID, but any number of infectious diseases could have wiped them out. They had no immunity to the stuff that was going on over here, and vice versa. Maybe healthier members exiled the sick to remain healthy and disease-free, but again, no bodies, so while it's potentially viable, very hard to verify. They were either burned by witches or burned as witches. This one I like. And maybe the disease that supposedly wiped them out was a round of deadly ergot poisoning and an LSD-fueled nightmare of cackles and broomsticks led to a mass incineration of the entire colony. You know what? Maybe. Out of all of these that sound ridiculous and have no proof, but that's the most fun one, I think. Or maybe a Wendigo ate them. A Wendigo, if you don't know, is in Native American lore. Uh, it's a wild spirit that inhabits those who practice cannibalism. So maybe the Wendigo got to him. The Croatoans believed in sort of a reptile devil of the woods that could have possessed them and caused them to wreak havoc among the other colonists. Or maybe they could have just encountered another thing and got turned into random shit in the woods by a different nature spirit. Who knows? There's all kinds of lore that point to supernatural things possibly being the reason for the colonists disappearing. My favorite thing that I found though explaining a supernatural disappearance of the colonists is aliens and I 
fucking knew there was going to be somebody out there with a theory about them being abducted by aliens, and I found this. Found this on something called parlia.com. I'm not 100% sure what this is, but it's an argument in favor of abduction, and it's got to be the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And we're going to read it. This is not mine. This is what someone else says on this site, so I'm just reading what someone else said and commenting on it. It says, The lack of bodies or mass grave sites at any of the proposed locations of the colonists' demise, whether it be Roanoke, Croatoan Island, or inland North Carolina, throws a significant wrench into all those theories. Alright, maybe. Continue. 115 people is not a small population for a colony. Also, if they intentionally left the island in a planned manner, it does not make sense to leave such a terrible clue like Croatoan written on a tree behind. Yes, it does. A note or a map would have been substantially more helpful. They took the fucking map maker back to England. They couldn't make a map. Some posit this implies that the colonists fled the island quickly and not of their own volition. If they fled quickly, why would they take the time to carve something so long into a wooden fence post? Carving takes time. Mass alien abduction would explain why no bodies have ever been found. Fucking how? Additionally, it remains possible in this line of thinking that the hidden symbol found below the patch... Whatever, crop circle nonsense. It's... No! It wasn't fucking aliens. No. And it all immediately just discredits itself. It's hilarious. No, that's not what happened. By the way, forgot to mention, John would never make it back to the colonies after this. And he died in 1593. Number eight, the Dare Stones. Coming back into it now, back into reality, getting away from the crazy alien people and their ridiculous theories and evidence that contradicts itself. The Dare Stones, however, well, one, there have been a number of these discovered over the years since 1937 when the first one was found, but that's the only one that's ever been authenticated. All the rest have been proven to be a hoax made with a common drill which they didn't have in the 16th century. Probably. It was found on the Chowan River in North Carolina, which is pretty far inland. The front side reads, Ananias Dare and Virginia went hence unto heaven 1591. Well, the other side says a whole bunch of stuff that's really hard to read, but basically says, Soon after you left for England, we left the fort and came here. I'm guessing she's referring to the area where they found the stone. And it was nothing but war and misery for the first two years. More than half of us died. 24 to disease, and then all but seven of us were slaughtered by a local tribe, including Ananias and Virginia. And then she goes on to say where they're all buried, and it's signed E.W.D. Eleanor White Dare. And so those are just a few of the crazy things that people think actually happened. Well, only a couple things are crazy, but we're going to wrap it up here, and I'm going to tell you what I think really happened, or what I think is the most likely thing to have happened. Governor White, John White, before he left for England to get supplies for the colony, instructed them to leave a message exactly like how they left on the word Croatoan on the fence post. In an excerpt from White's account of the journey back, published in 1600, he says when talking about the CRO, 
quote, which letters we presently knew to signify the place where they should be seated. And if they should happen to be distressed in any of those places, that then they should carve a cross over the letters or name, but we found no such sign. And that's from his actual eyewitness 16th century account of coming across the abandoned colony. So what happened? After he left, the colonists hung around in the camp for a couple of weeks, but since they were short on supplies, they had no choice but to venture out in search of the friendly Kurotoans to the south of the island. And if you've ever tried to get more than three people to agree on something, you can probably imagine what it was like to get 117 colonists to agree on what way to go. There's probably several different groups of people going off in different directions because they all couldn't come to one decision. Some of them meeting with the Croatoans or a different friendly tribe, while the others may not have been as fortunate. I mean, it's not totally impossible that they were eaten by some locals or something or turned into Wendigos or maybe a pine cone. I'm just saying, we don't know that they didn't encounter a tree witch. And then after enveloping themselves within the safety of the tribe, life goes on. They share a community, food, cultures, etc., you know, different things. Then as needs change, and the ever-encroaching Europeans become more and more numerous, they decide to push inward to the mainland to kind of distance themselves for as long as they can. Eventually, landing Eleanor White on the banks of the Chowan River, Chowan River, to carve out the one and only piece of verifiable evidence we have to point to when someone asks, whatever happened to the lost colony of Roanoke? And that, my friends, is what I think happened. Any combination of things could be true about what happened after Governor White left to resupply, but many times the simplest solution is often the correct solution, so Occam's razor helps me out with the steps in logic here. Their leader leaves, they have no food and resources, well, what do we do? Well, we have to go look for them. Where? We don't know anybody. Well, what about the Croatoans? They were friendly. Yeah, okay. Well, I don't want to go that way, I want to go this way. Alright, fine, whatever. Good luck over there. And so on and so forth. So I hope you guys like that story. I'm really starting to enjoy doing this more and more every week. It's For me, it's starting to become a lot more like just an audio jigsaw puzzle that I get to put together, which is super fun for me to do. And I really hope it's fun for you all to listen to every week. And if you'd like to keep hearing me tell you a new story every week, go do all the free stuff on whatever app you're on. Five stars, review whatever you can, patreon.com slash highstorypodcast or paypal highstorypodcast at gmail.com if you want to be that kind of an awesome friend. You can also send me stuff on Twitter at funnyballedwaiter or over on the Facebook page if you want to tell me whatever you want to tell me, wherever you want to tell me, at it, on it, whatever. Next week, we are jumping back into the true crime side of the pool with Bobby Parker. Not going to leave you guys hanging off a cliff this week. The woman who helped a convicted killer escape from prison where her husband worked as the warden. I just learned that as I'm telling it to you, so I procrastinate always. This should be a lot of fun for me to learn. It's going to be fun. So until next time, everybody, stay kind. <laughs> <laughs>